Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, hello, Ecclesia. Pastor Ian Graham, really happy to be with you wherever you are today. Uh, I'm going to bring to you a sort of hybrid of a, a talk that I gave in the park when we met together for live worship. And that, that talk was very much focused on exhortation. But as we begin a teaching series through the book of Acts this summer, I wanted to give some larger overview over the book of Acts and some more information. And so this is a better setting to do that. Now, full disclosure, I'm sitting in my car in Princeton. And it is a really hot day. And so I'm really happy to be here talking the book of Acts with you as we uh, have these next few moments together. I don't know if you remember, remember in April of 2019, as the world looked on as the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris was engulfed in flames. I don't know for you if that was a very personal experience. I know many people have been to visit that incredible structure. That building was built in the 12th century. And if you can envision that structure, that architectural marvel, 12th century. Like, it's really incredible. I mean, you, we can do so much now with our technology in the day and age that we live in. But think about no electricity, no steam engines to power, just sheer imagination, just a sheer uh, desire to glorify God and to make him famous. And that drove this incredible architectural feat. It's really a marvel. But as the building was burning, the question became, would the structure hold up? Would the building itself be so compromised that it would no longer stand? As the roof burned, the question that lingered over the next couple of days as, as firefighters finally were able to get the, the flames under control was, was the building so compromised that it would no longer stand. Well, some two years later, we found that the building does in fact still stand. And now architectural engineers and sort of historians that have uh, an understanding of science are trying to piece together the puzzle they're trying to understand how much uh, fire, how much, uh, what, what kind of temperatures was the different parts of the building exposed to, what is salvageable, and what needs to be replaced. And the focus of these uh, structural engineers and the people trying to restore this building is to keep the original character and quality of the original architecture intact as much as possible, while also future-proofing the building, making sure that it doesn't have the incredible uh, high risk of fire that, that was a, a part of the building before, before the roof caught on fire. And as one person, a part of the project of restoring the, the building to its original character and also uh, preserving it for the future, as one person remarked, they said, the roof is not important. What's important is not the building itself. What's important is what goes on inside the building, the worship that is uh, undertaken there, the worship of Jesus that is magnified in this place. And as I think about this, kind of this whole ordeal, you know, for many of us, the church in the United States at large, and I think our church in, in specific, it, we arrive at a similar moment. 
For many of us, the last year was like a fire. And perhaps as we move to the other side of the pandemic in some ways, I know the pandemic is not over as we sit here in May of 2021, but the last year was like a fire, burning down so much of what you thought you cherished, of what you thought was so secure, of what you thought would last in your life. I mean, think about it. Through the course of a global pandemic, We've also seen in the church in America, as many high-profile Christian leaders have, have been exposed as frauds or charlatans or even predators, we've seen a magnifying glass put up to the racial injustice that was always there, but that many of our sisters and brothers uh, of color endure and have been trying to get specifically white Christians in America to see and to name and to stand in solidarity alongside of them. We've seen as people in our country with some sort of strange cocktail of nationalism and Christian idolatry have descended upon the capital, trying to, in their minds, take back America for Jesus, but doing it in a way that is at every turn antithetical to the Jesus way. We think about these large-scale narratives. Then you think about these more personal narratives. You know, I've talked to so many people in our community, outside of our community, that have just, you know, been honest about their own personal habits of maybe Bible study and prayer, or maybe tuning into the online gatherings. And so many people have found it tough to persevere through the pandemic. Without all the beautiful benefits of showing up to church on Sunday morning, of seeing people looking them in the eye, many people have found that their habits have slacked and are trying to see what, what's going to last What's going to be the things that persevere to the other side? I think many people feel far from God right now. And my hope through this teaching series is to ask the question honestly, like what what did the fire expose in us that needs to go, that needs to be put away with? But also, what did the fire expose that also needs to be maintained and persevered? Something historic and rich, something that is a deep heritage that we want to hold on to. For many of us, even though God feels far away, you know, Paul reminds us that God is not far from any one of us. And last week, we talked about Jesus' ascension and how his ascension is not absence. Even though in Acts 1, it appears that Jesus is taken up to a place that is removed from what goes on on the earth. In the next chapter, in the chapter we're going to look at today, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus pours out His Spirit, which is His presence that is manifest in every circumstance and with every person. He makes our hearts His temple. Jesus is not absent, but he is present in a way that overcomes every absence. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which we will see, really frames the larger story of the book of Acts. But the question for us today, in this moment, as we're looking at the rubble and the ruins of the fire of the last year and that, you know, better part of a year, is what's worth holding on to and what needs to change for the future? In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends, and it looks like tongues of fire. And so there's this moment, not, not unlike the church being burned in Paris, where, where God's fire descends. Now, the difference is that God's fire, when it manifests throughout the scriptures, is not merely to destroy. It's not merely to upend. God's fire 
is to purify and to refine. Exodus 24 verse 17 describes God appearing like a fire. It says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. But God's appearance as a, as a fire, God's glory appearing as a fire, is not uh, in order that he would consume the people. It's, it's in order that he would establish his otherness, his holiness, his beauty in the world. God's fire throughout the scripture is purifying and refining. And so, when these, the Holy Spirit is poured out and it descends and it looks like tongues of fire, what we see is that God is not, uh, not destroying the old thing, but he's beginning a new thing, starting anew within the midst of the story that has been told to the people of Israel. And this we'll see throughout the book of Acts, is that they rely upon the story as it's been given to them. They rely upon the fact that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, that he is the fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham, that through the family of Abraham, God would bless the entire world, that Jesus chose that. Now we're going to see how God constantly expands what the the Jewish people thought that manifestation of that promise was going to be, that God is constantly stretching the bounds of who are the recipients of that promise. Willie James Jennings, talking about the book of Acts, and talking about Pentecost in particular, says the book of Acts speaks of revolution. We must never forget this. It depicts life in the disrupting presence of the Spirit of God. He goes on to say, there is only one central character in this story of Acts. It is God, the Holy Spirit. In Luke's gospel, and Luke is seen as the writer of both the gospel of Luke And the book of Acts, which we are uh, focusing our attention on over the next several weeks. And in Luke's gospel, the first time Jesus is recording speaking publicly, he goes to a local synagogue and reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He turns to Isaiah 61 and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This all takes place in Luke 4. And this quotation from Jesus, as he reflects upon his own vocation in light of the scriptures, this quotation sets the themes for the rest of Luke's gospel. Now, much in the same way, Peter, in response to the events of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit is poured out, will turn to the book of Joel and will quote from the scripture. And and his quotation will set the framework of the book of Acts as Luke narrates in the larger themes that, that he's trying to unpack. Look at the scripture that Peter calls to mind from Joel 2 here in our text in Acts 2. Beginning in Acts 2, verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Now the people seeing the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, and kind of hearing the commotion and I think the joy 
they look at what's going on and they think, well, these people, like, these people are hitting the sauce at, at nine o'clock in the morning. But Peter's saying, no, that's not at all what's going on here. Peter says, he corrects them. He says, this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. In the last days, Joel writes, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter, in turning to Joel 2, is establishing not only what's happening at Pentecost in this uh, response to God's outpouring of His Spirit, Peter is establishing themes that will carry through the book of Acts. First, Peter says, in the last days, he quotes from Joel. And what he's saying is, is that God's Spirit being poured out is evidence that the last days, the end of time, has come backward into the middle of time. And this kind of hits at a theme that is present in the New Testament as a whole. This idea of the already and the not yet. Acts 1 hits upon this theme as Jesus ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father. It's not that Jesus goes off to heaven and he says, Good luck to everybody. I hope you can figure it out in your life on earth and I'll see you when you get to heaven. No, that is saying that Jesus is sitting, reigning at the right hand of the Father right here and right now. That his crucifixion and resurrection is a victory that stands for all of time, that holds secure the promises that God. God has for us for eternal life and that that eternal life has been brought back to the middle of time. That Jesus's victory is secure and he has extended his victory to us in our daily lives right here and right now. And so Peter is saying that this, the presence of the Spirit is evidence that the last days have, have not waited until everything is wrapped up at the end of time, but the last days have come upon us in the middle of our own days, and that our call is to be witnesses. And what do we witness to? We witness to the victory that Jesus has won on the cross. And so the Spirit being poured out is evidence that the last days have arrived. And then Peter says, God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Now Acts will trace out these themes, but we see this in microcosm in Acts 2. It says that all these different people groups from the larger group of Israelites hear the wonders of God spoken in their own language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, all of these people were in Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And Pentecost historically was a first grains feast, a, a sort of acknowledging that God is the God of the harvest. And so all of these people had come as pilgrims to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And that's why they're all, they're all these people that speak different dialects and you know, understand uh, things in different ways. They're all here in this one place. And notice, they all hear the wonders of God spoken in their own language. 
in the biblical narrative, the book of or the book of Genesis talks about the Tower of Babel. And at Babel, the impetus for people to undertake a project erecting a tower to the heavens is that they all share one common language. There's a hegemony of language. Justo Gonzalez talks about empires are always trying to get people to only have one language because language sets culture. And where language is homogenous, where language is, is, is singular, then culture can be singular and then imperial powers can dominate the cultural narrative. But notice that's not what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. Rather than God speaking in one way and expecting everybody to get in line with the way that he is speaking, God is narrating his good gospel in the tongues of all of these various peoples. They all understand. And so as Peter talks about the spirit being poured out upon all flesh, it's so important for us to realize is that the gospel is culturally supersedes all of these cultures that we undertake. The gospel invites us to hear the good news of Jesus in our language. It invites us, because the gospel is good news to every culture, to every people group, to every tongue and tribe and nation. And if the gospel is not good news to all people, it is not good news to anyone. And so, this first scene features... The wonders of God being culturally communicated, crossing linguistic barriers. And this is so important for us as we think about what does it mean for us to be a church in 21st century America? Well, it means for us to bear witness to the fact that God's Spirit is operating among us by speaking the wonders and the good news of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and ascension in ways that people can comprehend and understand. Peter says from Joel 2, he says, The Spirit of God will be poured out upon all flesh. And what we see is that this is is done in microcosm. But we also see is that when the Spirit of God is poured out, there's this leveling effect. There's no longer people that are, you know, uniquely uh, holy or uniquely sainted. No. God is communicating the good news of Jesus to all people. And we'll see throughout Acts that this doesn't just extend to different socioeconomic classes. You know, uh, Joel references even slaves will receive the Spirit of God, that men and women alike will receive the Spirit of God. And these are all class distinctions that were present in very heavy ways in the first century. But what we'll see throughout Acts, we, we see that the Ethiopian eunuch later on in Acts will be given the good news of the gospel. We see in Acts 10 that Peter goes to Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile. We see that Saul, this kind of murderous person persecuting the church, is met by the risen Jesus and that he receives the good news of the gospel. We see that there is no thing that can hinder God's mystery, his good news from being uh, spoken, from it encountering people. And so the Spirit of God levels the playing field. It goes out into, as Acts 1 says, into all the earth, into all the world. And the purpose of God's Spirit being poured out is so that God can communicate His great love for the entire world 
to every single person, to every single tongue and tribe and nation. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, Jesus is baptized. And as he comes out of the waters, he hears the voice from heaven proclaim over him, this is my son, my beloved, with him I am well pleased. And in that moment, in that scene where this voice speaks the good news over him, also a dove descends and like the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus and alights upon Him. And for us, as the Spirit of God is poured out into all the world, it is trying to communicate this identity of belovedness to each and every person. Paul, in thinking about this incredible Spirit of God that has been given to us as this great and priceless gift in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Paul is saying, The Spirit of God confirms the promises of God to us, confirms our identity in Christ, that we are loved by God, that we are adopted by God, we are His daughters and sons. And not just that, that if we are daughters and sons of the King, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, then we are co-heirs with Christ, that all that is Christ is ours in Christ Jesus. This is an incredible truth, and this will be seen throughout the book of Acts But throughout this incredible tale that Luke narrates, God is trying to tell us that we are His children, His beloved. There is a leveling and there's also a uniting. We're going to see the incredible ways that God creates unity out of diversity. Not blowing past the things that make us different, especially the things that, you know, different cultures and different ways that we have manifested the image of God in the world. No, not that. But a unity out of diversity. And we're going to see as the life of the church unfolds that this is often a painful process, and we know this in the church in America. We know that as much as we all sort of long for this multicultural, multiracial, multi-class ideal, that it's not easy work. But it is not our work alone. It is the work of the Spirit of God. And so we're going to see how the Spirit of God poured out upon all flesh levels our class distinctions, but it also unites us across them and creates a new family, a new family that is not defined by bloodlines, but is defined by the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God poured out upon all flesh. Peter, in response to all that is happening, taught uses Joel 2 and describes what is is happening in their midst, the Spirit of God, the last days, and he also tells the story. He tells the story of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, crucified. He tells of what has happened in their midst, and he keeps saying that this Jesus whom you've crucified. And what we see that as God's Spirit is poured out is that there is power in telling the story. 
Jesus told them in Acts 1 that they would be witnesses. And Peter does little more than bear witness. There's not a whole lot of creative preaching going on here. Peter is just reflecting on what has happened. He is bearing witness and he's saying, this Jesus whom you crucified has been made Messiah and Lord by the power of God because death could not keep its hold upon him. And so as we begin to imagine what it means for us to be a church empowered by the Spirit of God, what we see is that to be a church empowered by the Spirit of God is to be a church who trusts in the power of the story. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the message about the cross is foolishness to the world. But to those of us who have seen it, who have beheld its glory, it is the absolute wisdom of God. And we bear witness by simply telling what Jesus has done by both telling what he he has done historically on the cross and by telling of what he has done in our lives, how it's manifested a change in us. But the Spirit of God, and we'll see this throughout the book of Acts, that in just simply telling the story, there is revolution undertaken, to use Willie James Jennings' terms. There is incredible change brought forth by the simple telling of the story. The last thing that we see throughout the book of Acts is that this message is unhindered. This is the last phrase in the book of Acts itself. That Paul, even though he is under Roman guard, even though he is imprisoned by the Roman authorities, that this sense of Paul proclaiming the message of Jesus, and we'll see Paul throughout his life, this sense that he is unhindered in his ability to preach. So many of Paul's letters were written from prison. And what we see is that no matter the circumstance that the people in, throughout the book of Acts find themselves in, no matter the suffering that they are uh, experiencing, that God's word goes forth. There's this incredible trust and reliance upon the power of God's word. We'll see that God's word will shake the walls of prisons, that it will shake economies, whole civic economies are turned upside down by the incredible message of Jesus and that we'll see that truly the vision that is brought forth in Acts chapter 1 that they will be witnesses to the ends of the earth is at least undertaken and begun through the preaching of the apostles and for us we want to see that no matter the circumstances that we have experienced no matter what has been done to us, no matter what we have done in our past, that God's message, the truth of His Spirit going forth and being poured out upon all flesh is unhindered. There is nothing that can stop God's relentless pursuing of the world that He loves, and that is because He has poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. And Ecclesia, as we undertake this study in the book of Acts, as I'm I'm trying to just kind of narrate some of the themes from my car to you in Princeton, I want to say, let this book stir your imagination. This story is not just a story about what happens. It is a story about what happens when people allow the Spirit of God to have sway in their lives, when we yield our lives to the Spirit. This is not just some idealizing of the first church that we should be trying to get back here. No, it's, it's a call to translate what would it look like for God's spirit to break forth in our midst? What would it look like in 21st century Princeton for God to break out, for, for the spirit of God to manifest itself? And what we see is that the spirit of God manifests itself in these incredible ways, in these profound ways. 
but it also manifests itself in the slow and patient ferment that God undertakes in the world. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, God poured out His Spirit in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And that moment began a movement that has been slowly captivating the world, that has irrevocably changed the world ever since. And through all these fits and starts, God has been faithful and present. God has been patient. And we see throughout the book of Acts, there are conflicts in the church. There are problems amongst the people. It's not that everything is uh, this utopia. It's not that everything is easy. No, things are really hard. Things are really difficult. Things are a lot like the church that we all experience on a daily basis in our lives. But through it all, God is steadfast. God is faithful. His Spirit is poured out. It comes to us and it invites us to be uh, who we are meant to be, to receive our identities as beloved, as daughters and sons, and to move out of that identity, to move as witnesses in mission to a world that so achingly needs the beautiful news that we carry. And so, as we begin this, sto- this story, And this study in the book of Acts, let Pentecost shape our imaginations. Let it shape our hopes and our prayers. And let us be a people who receive the beauty of God's Spirit, who live out of its power, and who bear witness to what could happen when God is given first priority in our midst. Let us be a people of Pentecost, a church that is yielded to His Spirit, Grace and peace to you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.